This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Round, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning. And we will be discussing uh, all of the latest things in terms of COVID-19 and where we are. As many of you know, this is our 56th consecutive program uh, dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And today we want to talk a lot about what we've been hearing in terms of the Delta variant. How is it affecting the health of our country and specifically the health of those of us here in Connecticut? Uh, my guest today is going to be Dr. Daniel Ibrahim, Ibrahim, and he is an MD, PhD, and serves as the Regional Chief Quality Officer and Chief of Toxicology for Trinity Healthcare. As always, we want to look at the scoreboard first, and that is the sad fact that over 603,000 Americans have died from the COVID-19 virus. In Connecticut, our positivity rate is now down to less than 0.5%, so it continues to be low, and this is a key for all of us. In the United States right now, we have over 151 million people who are fully vaccinated. Um, so the fully vaccinated population is about 46%. But in Connecticut, we want to talk about vaccinations. And 66% of our population has at least one dose and 59% of fully vaccinated. Although these numbers are good, this is not sufficient. One dose isn't what beats this thing. Being fully vaccinated with two doses or the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine would be sufficient uh, when we go forward. But one of the points I really wanted to uh, work on and discuss was uh, recently we heard about in Houston, Texas, we had a group of healthcare workers who sued their hospital over the fact that they were being told that in order to retain their jobs, they had to be vaccinated. And the federal courts ruled that those employees uh, had to be vaccinated. And, and, and the rule being that if your decision not to be vaccinated in some way endangers the care or the life of others, you must be vaccinated. And that's certainly the case in the field of healthcare. This week, the Connecticut Hospital Association. Now, the Connecticut Hospital Association is the organization of all the hospitals in the state of Connecticut. 
and they issued a statewide policy that endorses mandatory COVID-19 vaccination for hospital and health systems employees and clinical staff. So the point being here is that it becomes important for healthcare workers to be vaccinated. So think of the scenario. So for example, many people get cancer care and have to go to infusion centers. Often these patients cannot be vaccinated and are immunosuppressed. And, and, and there are many hundreds of thousands of people who cannot be vaccinated. So the point here being that if you go to a vaccine, a center for infusion and you cannot be vaccinated, could it be that someone who is not vaccinated could be administering care to you and possibly transmitting the virus? And the answer is yes. Now, you, you might make the argument, well, they wear a mask, but are we doing things, as, making things as safe as possible here in Connecticut? You know, we often hear the term, uh, hospitals love this, we take a patient-centered approach to care. By not assuring the public and patients that employees are not vaccinated, it sounds to me like they're taking an employee-centered approach to care. So I urge the hospitals here in Connecticut to really think about adopting this policy that their organization has recommended for all of them to follow. So there's time. I mean, no one, none of the hospitals have done this yet. We deal with Yale, we have UConn, Hartford Hospital, and naturally Trinity. And I think that it's time for them to think about how they're going to create a policy that is fair to their employees as well as to their patients, but more importantly, the patients they care for. And it is somewhat ironic because, let's face it, right now in Connecticut, the Connecticut State Universities now will require students to be fully vaccinated before they return in the fall. So you, you can't go to college here unless you've been vaccinated. The irony there is that staff and faculty are not required to be immunized and have vaccinations. The American Association of University Professors has come out and said their members will be getting vaccinated. And I think that's key. So we have to really look at these policies and, and point out the ironies and correct them. The city of San Francisco has now become the first municipality to mandate vaccination. 35,000 workers in San Francisco will be required to be immunized for COVID-19. So that what they're doing in San Francisco is they are waiting till there's full approval of the vaccine and people will have 10 weeks from that point. And that should occur in the next couple of months. So people are moving in the right direction. Municipalities are beginning to move in the right direction. But hospitals need to lead the charge. 
So I ask those who are listening to make sure that we have looked at this and are doing everything possible to follow these guidelines. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back to talk a little bit more about uh, COVID-19 and also about a new treatment for obesity. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be back with you. We're talking a little bit about the Delta variant and how is it impacting us. And there are multiple studies, but even the anecdotal stories have been key. So this week in Manatee County of Florida, in a state office, there are seven employees working in a single office together. And... Of those seven employees, six people became ill. In fact, sadly, two of those employees died from COVID-19. The other four were hospitalized, two of whom were in an ICU. Employee number seven had no symptoms. Guess which one was vaccinated? Employee number seven. So... It brings home the fact that the difference here is the difference between life and death. Now, I spend a lot of time with people talking about the vaccine. I did it two days ago when we did weigh-ins with fighters at Mohegan Sun. And for some reason, we're just not getting through to folks. People are afraid of feeling ill, feeling flu-like after their injection. Feeling flu-like is nothing compared to being in an ICU on a respirator or dying. I mean, that's how drastic it is. So one other thing is people are afraid this is going to go into their cells. The vaccine will go into their cells. So I think it's time we recap how the vaccine works and how the virus works. So the virus is a ball with a bunch of spikes on it. And those spikes, so that virus itself cannot live unless it attaches to a host, a living cell. It must attach to your cells. So those spikes are what attach it to your cells, your healthy cells, so that the virus can now live off the DNA in your healthy cells. The messenger RNA vaccine is designed to alter the spike part of the virus. It doesn't kill the virus. It just alters the spike. So now the spike cannot stick its tentacles in and attach to your cells. The messenger RNA vaccine does not go into your cells. It has nothing to do with your cells. What it does is it alters your body's approach to destroy that spike protein. And if the spike protein cannot attach to your cells, it dies. The virus goes away. That's how it works. It does not have implications for whether you can bear children. Okay. It does not have implications in the long run for your health. But I will tell you, that a virus going into your cell and living off your DNA, 
now you've got a chance of altering your longevity. So your concerns are correct, but not about the vaccine. Those concerns about the future need to be about getting COVID or one of these new variants. So when we hear the words messenger RNA, people become panicked and and nervous about that. But I want to tell you once again, this is going to be the future of how vaccines are made. Now, we all know every year we get a flu shot, and the flu shot is a guess. It's a guess. In the spring or summer, scientists make a guess of what the flu is going to look like in the fall when it hits us. With a new messenger RNA approach to making a vaccine, they can now find out exactly what that virus is going to look like and rapidly produce a vaccine against the flu. Don't forget, people die of the flu, especially the elderly and people with other chronic conditions. So this is going to be a way that we can get out in front of of the flu. <coughs> Remember what I told you, it, it's like this messenger RNA is like a chassis. It's like a car chassis. We all know General Motors and Ford, they make one chassis, put different bodies on it, and call it a different car. It's the same thing with this messenger RNA technique. It's a chassis. They're just going to put different bodies on it depending on what the flu looks like, what COVID has changed to. Do we need a booster to attack it here? They're just going to use that chassis and build on it. And that's what we need to keep in mind. But here's the real winner for us. Everyone says, why can't they come up with a cure for cancer? Hey, folks, this is going to be one of the major cures for cancer. Think about it. If you have a tumor and they could take a piece of that tumor, look at the genetics of the tumor itself, your personal tumor, and generate a vaccine against that. That's how you kill every cancer cell. Does surgery kill every cancer cell? Not likely. That's why we use chemotherapy and and radiation and other techniques. But just think, if you could take your own body's natural ability to fight infection and have it fight your cancer, this could be the breakthrough that we've been looking for for centuries. So messenger RNA vaccines are here to stay, folks. So get used to it because it's going to be the key for medicine going forward. In the last couple of minutes on of this segment, I want to talk a little bit about a real game changer for weight loss. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Dr. Charles Cavo on um, from our friends over at Pounds Transformation. And uh, interesting, the, uh, this article, he alluded to some of uh, these types of medications, but uh, now it's gotten full FDA approval this week, and that is uh, the use of semaglutide, semaglutide also known as Ozempic. Some people take that for diabetes. Others of us have seen the commercials for it. Uh, so you have this drug called Ozempic. And what they found in their studies, and it's a good study, 
the drug is administered subcutaneously by injection once a week. They looked at 2,600 people who got the drug, 1,500 people who did not get the drug got a placebo. And we're talking about people who are obese who got it. So they had to have a body mass index of over 30. And the dose is actually more than you get. It's 2.4 milligrams as opposed to what you give for diabetes of 1 milligram. And the new drug is called Wegovy, W-E-G-O-V-Y. So what they found was of the 2,600 patients, half of them lost 15% of their body weight. A third of them lost up to 20% of their body weight just by using this medication. Why? Because the drug itself, semaglutide, what it does is it mimics a hormone that comes from our intestines. And what it does is this hormone slows the ability for the stomach to empty. It also sends a signal to the brain that we are now satiated. So it decreases the appetite. What that results in is diminished feelings of hunger and feeling more full with smaller meals. So we have to keep in mind that as we move through where 70% of the country okay, is gaining weight, we need to somehow get a hold of this problem that leads to heart disease, diabetes, and other things. So for some people, this may be the answer. doesn't take the place of diet and exercise and, and, and doing all the right things. But certainly for some population, this may be key. We should probably try to get Dr. Cavill back on uh, in the near future and uh, see what his experience is uh, now that we're starting to use this medication. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest today, Dr. Daniel Ibrahim. He is an MD and uh, has a master's in public health. He's the regional chief quality officer and chief of toxicology for Trinity Toxicology for Trinity Healthcare. And we're going to be talking about the Delta variant of COVID nineteen and what it means to all of us. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And it's great to be with you in the second half of our program and to welcome my guest, Dr. Daniel Ibrahim. Dr. Ibrahim is the Regional Chief Quality Officer and Chief of Toxicology at Trinity Health of New England, or as we know it best as uh, St. Francis Hospital and St. Mary's Hospital. And uh, welcome back to the show, Daniel. Hello, Tony. How are you? Thank All right. you. It's an honor to be with you and your audience. Well, let's talk. Um, so what should the public know about the Delta variant? Yeah, so I, I just wanted to take a moment to also frame this. Um, it's kind of, as you know, the variant story has been uh, with us since kind of the, the, uh, the, the COVID emergence. And we know the variants are really part of the natural history of viruses in general. It's the virus uh, changes its genomic or genetic code on an ongoing basis. Uh, and sometime when the change occurs in one specific area that affect how the virus spread 
or how um, the, the severity of the disease it produces, or it gives the virus an advantage to evade immunity in humans, then we pay attention to it. And, and the most recent one is the, your question back to your question is the Delta variants. So the Delta variants was initially identified in India. As you know, uh, uh, India has been um, struggling and facing a uh, very large um, uh, emergence of this variant in, in the spring. And then uh, if you look globally, it's not just India now. It was obviously um, detected in Europe and the UK and, uh, and other parts of, of, of the European continent. And now here in the United States recently um, in June, um, uh, prior to the detection of the Delta variant, as, as you know, Tony, we um, had the UK variant, um, the 117 variant, that was really the dominant one, and it still is. However, more recently, um, the uh, Delta variant is on the rise, especially in the Midwest and the Southeast uh, part of the United States. And recently, the CDC declared it in the mid of June as a variant of concern. So why is it so important? Why is this variant of more importance, say, than uh, the British variant, the 117 variant? Why is 1617 uh, more important for us to pay attention to? Yeah. So what happens is when the virus, the COVID or the SARS-2 virus has an opportunity to spread and um, produce infections in people, this is really when it has the opportunity to evolve and take advantage of the mutations. So um, every mutation that affects these areas of the genetic code that give the virus an advantage, it just means now the virus has um, evolved. It becomes now uh, um, perhaps maybe a more of a or considerable threat potentially. So variance is, is an evolution um, in the virus life cycle, and um, and then particular uh, uh, variants um, grab our attention because we worry about the fact that the virus now um, uh, find it easier to spread from a person to a person, or produce more severe disease or death, um, or evade the immunity. So that's why it's important. Um, the second question is the vaccination and the folks that are vaccinated. Um, how effective are our current vaccines against these variants? That's the other part of it. So I guess that's that's my question is because you said out west, but let's face it, in Missouri, their ICU beds are going at 225%. Why is it attacking Missouri and not Connecticut? And, and I'm hoping you're going to say it's because of vaccination, because we've done pretty well here. But is that the case? Is it because people in Missouri uh, have a lower vaccine rate? Yeah, it's a, a fantastic question. So if you look at other countries' experience with this variant, specifically Israel, as you know, Israel has been uh, uh, the forerunner in terms of their success with implementing a mass vaccination uh, for COVID. And they, you know, their primary vaccine is the Pfizer so Israel recently, and so as you know, they've had a really great success in terms of bringing down their COVID infections um, and mortality to minimal. But just recently, 
they have, are seeing outbreaks. Uh, and then when they analyze the uh, COVID outbreaks, it's really related to this. When they look closer, it's really affecting those uh, populations that are not vaccinated. So no question that the non-vaccinated individuals are uh, most vulnerable. And that, you know, I wouldn't really, I would think that same logic would extend perhaps to other parts of the world, including here in the U.S. And so our best protection is is uh, vaccination. We are very fortunate in the United States. We have um, two vaccines, the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine that are two doses that they have proven thus far um, effective at preventing um, um, severe disease and death, but also um, uh, um, um, lowering the number of infections and the potential for transmitting the infection when you have the vaccine. Now, there have been recent studies. This evidence is still accumulating, uh, specifically looking at the Delta uh, variant and um, in Pfizer, so in connection to the Pfizer vaccine. So there are some uh, preliminary data that's showing that um, even though um, the uh, uh, effectiveness of Pfizer vaccine is a little bit lower. So as you know, the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccines against the, the common uh, uh, COVID-19 virus, including the UK 117, is close to 95%. But the studies are showing that there's a bit of a decrease in effectiveness against Delta, but it's still above 85% effective. So there's no question that, you know, uh, getting the vaccine is the best protection that we have now um, against um, uh, this particular vi- variant. Well, Daniel, I was kind of surprised because when I looked at this study uh, in Israel, that only 55% of the population of Israel is fully vaccinated. And and I thought that was odd because I thought that since they were early adopters, they were going to have a higher rate. And, and in Connecticut now, we're at 59% of fully vaccinated people. Does that mean we're in better shape here in Connecticut. I mean, where do we need to be to get there? Yeah, I, I believe, honestly, I'm very proud of uh, of what we have done here in Connecticut and the New England in general, including Massachusetts and other states, and also New York. I think this part of the country is no question. Um, we've been um, uh, successful at increasing the rate of vaccination, and that's really paying uh, uh, greatly for us, meaning um, in a positive way giving us an advantage to protect our communities and population. Uh, now, in, in terms of uh, the percentage that you quoted for Israel, I wonder, um, so w- w- sometimes the statistics is relating to the total population. It is. And That's a total population. Yeah, and if you have countries where you have younger folks more, you know, the demographic might change. So as you know, now we are really focusing on the younger, um, so 12 and above. And actually, when in Israel, they found the pockets of, of infections related to Delta is really among the younger, the 12 and above. So that perhaps they need to catch up there. As it is here. Possibility. As it, is, As it here. is here. I mean, that's where we're getting the most resistance right now is in young, healthy 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. And that's who it's affecting both here and in Israel. Um, it's sad. Absolutely. Yeah, that was it. If you remember, Tony, is like not too long ago when this whole thing started, you know, almost a year and a half ago, a little bit less than that. You know, the the folks that are older than um, 65 and specifically 75 and above were the most vulnerable. 
we're very fortunate we came a long way, you know, to vaccinate uh, our um, um, uh, older populations. And now you have minimal um, infection among the older population. And, and with that, it's a very, very small number of deaths, um, which is really fantastic. Now we are on the opposite side of that. So now we find that we really need to focus our efforts educating and um, encouraging vaccination among the younger uh, age groups. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Daniel Ibrahim from Trinity Health of New England. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about a booster. Are we going to need one? And if so, when? And get some more final thoughts about the Delta variant. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And my guest today is Dr. Daniel Ibrahim. And we're chatting about the Delta variant. And uh, Daniel, I guess we were talking a little bit about uh, Israel, and I just uh, got an email with, with a great point. Uh, it appears that, as you presented, Israel has had to go back to masking indoors. When you go indoors, anywhere indoors in Israel, you have to mask. And now in this country, we are not masking indoors if you've been vaccinated. Um, do you foresee a time where we may have to go back to masking and kind of roll things back again? Or do you think um, we're going to be in the clear? And I, I, granted, this takes a little bit of a crystal ball, but I think your crystal ball is a lot clearer than mine and most of the people listening to this based on your qualification. So that's why I'm throwing this one out there. Do you think we may have to go back to that? Yeah, and, and you know, Tony, I think the key here is for us to be flexible and open-minded. So we we know that at the end of the day, we want to uh, protect uh, the public. We want to make sure everybody's protected and safe. I think the best way to do it is uh, we know the vaccine, current vaccines that we have in our country work. Uh, so we continue to encourage and vaccinate. And, and two, if, if we if the person who's really not vaccinated is is, is absolutely important, is, is critical that that person still um, um, put the mask on and social distance. Um, that, that still is essential. The mask is very effective also in preventing the transmission and the infection and, and the disease. Now, uh, what I would say is, is there a possibility that other uh, the variants, you know, might um, uh, show um, and we discover variants that uh, that will be uh, our current vaccinations will be less affected is, is a possibility. The only way to know that is for us to um, adopt a continuous genomic surveillance. But, uh, we have it in the United States. We're doing it here in Connecticut and the rest of New England. Uh, we need to do more. Um, countries like the United, UK and Denmark and other countries in the world, you know, they do that. You know, they have a sophisticated, solid program. So we need to sample the virus on an ongoing basis. And then also, as important for those who are vaccinated when they get infected with COVID, we really need to analyze and look at what kind of variants affected them and, and, and how sick they, uh, they become and whether they need to be hospitalized. So that's the only way for us to stay ahead. And then, you know, if, if, um, if we do that really well, that would have a really good alarm uh, monitoring system, so to speak, um, just giving us a little bit of an intel or an insight to kind of take actions that are really proportional. 
not panic or overreact, but really driven by what we discover as this virus. As you know, we, uh, the virus has been, for the most part, ahead of us, and we're catching up. And, 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 and the fact that we have been able to produce vaccines that are more than 95% effective to the current variant is an amazing, you know, historical breakthrough. Um, but then, you know, the story is evolving. So we need to be smart and, and stay ahead or as, as ahead as we can be. The only way to do it is by doing continuous surveillance and monitoring and, and just reacting according to what we discover. Daniel, are we going to need a booster shot? I mean, uh, most of us uh, have been were vaccinated early on uh, because of our work. So I know I got vaccinated in December and then final shot in January, beginning of January. Um, probably the same as yourself. I mean, are we due for a booster shot? Um, and, and if it's so, a, when? Yeah, it's a very, you know, this is a very um, reasonable possibility. Uh, as you know, um, the, the uh, uh, folks in, across all levels um, in the United States are looking at that. Um, the CDC um, and, and um, across all the states and the Department of Health um, um, so are looking specifically at that. And then the science community and the, all the trials that are ongoing. We, even at Trinity Health of New England, it's in our planning. So at Trinity Health of New England, we continue to um, um, make it easy for our communities to get vaccinated, push our vaccination and deliver it through our emergency departments and the inpatient units. But we are absolutely preparing for the, I think, reasonable possibility that a booster would be um, needed. And, and the question is, yeah, uh, when and um, uh, it, it still, is, as, as you can imagine, this is something that a lot of people are looking at, um, and and they 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 are weighing in um, in the fact that you know, are do we have variants that are circulating that the, the vaccines is, is less effective to a point where we really need to introduce, introduce the booster? Um, and then the other question is, we still is really we have a bit of amount of uncertainty about is, um, so I, I'm like you, Tony, so I got vaccinated, I got two shots of my vaccine. And uh, the, the question is, how long, um, even, you know, not really taking into consideration the variants, but just how long that immunity, you know, that the vaccine gave me would last. That's still uncertain. And just, just because of the fact that, you know, the vaccine has been um, um, implemented in, in December, so we uh, this past December, so it hasn't really been long enough for us to know that level of immunity and longevity. But but back to your question, I think it it is prudent and it's very realistic for us to prepare for the prospect of a booster. Daniel, in the last minute, what's the final message? What do we need to let the public know today when we're dealing with? the virus and the variants and the potential variants within a variance. What is the take-home message from today? I, I will start with the good news. Um, it, it, it's really, we, I, I can't have, it's, it's just I don't find the words to describe to you how fortunate we are to have two very effective vaccines, um, the Pfizer and the Moderna here in the United States, and, and they're there for anybody who is eligible for them to have them. So my first message, I would say, please, you know, if you're hesitant, if you're not sure, if you have questions, um, um, seek help, you know, uh, 
and certainly look at us. You can look at Trinity Health New England, and we'd be more than happy. But others, you know, and talk to your friends and loved ones and those who have already got vaccinated, um, and get your questions hopefully addressed and answered. If you can't get the vaccine, please get the vaccine. That's your best defense. The second one I would say is for those who uh, are, did, are not get vaccinated, the mask is wonderful, meaning the mask has was proven ability to actually spread, uh, 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 protect you and protect others around you. So continue to use the mask, especially in an indoor uh, settings or in places that are indoor and poorly ventilated. And then the last message I would say is um, the virus is right now, uh, the SARS COVID-2 virus is an evolving story. Uh, we just need to be open-minded um, and just, you know, um, and, and when I say open-minded, I would say flexible in terms of we adjust our strategy according to what we learn. Um, and then um, that's the only way we're going to really, uh, I believe, maintain our success and hopefully stay ahead. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your time, Dr. Abraham, and, and all the work you do and the people over at Trinity Health of New England. Thanks again for spending yeah. time with us today. Yeah, my pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much, you and your audience listening. Thank you. Many thanks to our studio producer, Anthony Dorenzo, has been on the board today. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. If you missed any part of today's program, you can go to get the Healthy Rounds podcast. You can download it free at the Odyssey site. Next up on WTIC is going to be Garden Talk with Len. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.